and welcome to 30 Days of Terror, day 21. How you do? I've got three stories for you today. Are you ready? Yeah. Story number one comes from Hallie. I'm from Kentucky. And this past summer, I lived with a close friend of mine, Evie, and her family for work. Their house is known as the Samuel Hyatt House, built in the 1850s. Evie's parents bought the house after they got married and upgraded it enough from its Civil War era features to be a livable home. It's a massive house and definitely gives off a vibe of its own. I've been visiting there since I was a baby, so I never thought of it as anything but my best friend's house. But many of my other friends who came to visit that summer said they definitely got creeps from the place. In fact, the graves of the original family are less than a mile from the house. I am no stranger to paranormal happenings, but like I said, I'd never experienced anything paranormal in that house before. Evie's room was the same room that the 11-year-old girl of the original family used. The girl had passed away when she was 11 from some sickness. Evie has experienced some unexplainable things while living in her room. Music boxes that go off, things flying off shelves. Things didn't start getting weird for me that summer until late July. Evie's room was big enough to fit her bed and pull-out couch that I used as my bed. Evie's bed was in the back right corner of the room and mine was in the back left, on the same wall as the door. There was a small cabinet we wedged between Evie's desk and my couch bed that served as my nightstand. All summer, I kept the same items on my nightstand. Two Stephen King books, three bottles containing my nightly medicine, a water bottle and a blue glass bottle of face serum. One night at around three in the morning, I woke up to a loud thud that sounded right where my night table was. I pulled myself out of my sleepy haze long enough to turn on my phone flashlight. When I looked around, I saw my little blue serum bottle rolling away from my nightstand. I groaned, picked it up and put it back in its place. My sleeping arrangements were kind of cramped, so I brushed it off as I had knocked my nightstand in my sleep. About two nights later, I was awoken to the exact same thing. A loud thud followed by my little blue bottle rolling away. At this point, I was a little bit weirded out. There is no way I could have managed to knock the same bottle off twice in a week in the exact same way. I decided to pull the covers up over my head and try to open my eyes as little as possible until I fell asleep. The following night, you guessed it, I was woken up, but a little differently this time. Instead of my blue bottle being knocked on the floor, it was knocked onto my left shoulder. When I opened my eyes, I saw Evie standing in front of her desk, leaning over to look into a tiny mirror sitting on it. Two days before, Evie had gotten her nose pierced, so I assumed that she had tugged on the new piercing in her sleep and was scoping out the damage. Oddly enough, the figure seemed too short to be Evie and had hair that was longer than Evie's. I didn't think much of it, I just assumed that I was tired and it was dark. 
I mean, I lived in the same room with a girl, so I felt safe to assume that it was just Evie. Another odd thing was that she didn't turn any lights on, so it's not like she could see her nose piercing if that's why she was looking in the little mirror. I stared at her for about a minute and whispered at her, asking what she was doing. She didn't move. Another minute went by. Slowly she lifted her head and began to walk to the end of my bed about a foot away. I sat up and said, Evie, what are you doing? After I say this, I look over at Evie's bed. And to my surprise, Evie is in her bed. The black, shadowy figure standing near my bed was not my best friend. My first instinct was to throw my covers over my head. I laid under my blanket, my heart pounding, hoping that when I came out from hiding, the little girl would be gone. To my dismay, when I peeked out from my blanket, she was still there. I panicked and grabbed my phone off my nightstand and turned on my flashlight. When my light shone on her, she disappeared. I have no doubt that the figure I saw was the little girl who used to occupy that room. I also believe she was the one that knocked my blue bottle off my nightstand all three nights. It was an anonymous presence by any means, even though it did scare me when I finally saw her and realised who she was. I think she just wanted to play, like most 11-year-old girls would. I have been back to the house since and slept in the same room but I haven't seen her. She hasn't tried to mess with me since either, and my friend hasn't reported anything strange happening. Even so, we always still keep an eye out for Miss Hyatt. Little girl ghost, no thank ye. Must be, I wonder if it was the increased activity of loads of people staying over that summer that got her. Yeah, and having the energy of two young girls in her old room might have been her being like, what the fuck? Yeah, I don't want a little girl ghost, though. Yeah, very, very, I very I don't want true. any ghosts, to be honest. You can keep your ghosts. I'm good with that. Must have been well annoying, though, waking up and seeing the serum rolling across the room for, like, three nights on the trot. Yeah. I mean, I get it, because the first night you would be like, oh, yeah. I've somehow done that. And then if it happened identically again and again, I, I agree, you would be like, hmm. At what point am I just going to leave it there? This is getting a bit <laughs> strange. But imagine if the little girl ghost has been picking it up each night just to look at it and keeps dropping it and going, oh, I'm not going to wake him up. Shit, shit. No. Um, so maybe that, yeah, no. I don't mean, yeah. It's got to happen, hasn't it? In those sort of Civil War era buildings. Well, only old buildings, really. Yeah, there's going to be some sort of history tied into those mm. old buildings, isn't there? Mm. More common to lose a child. Well, more common to lose a child in your house at that point I think wasn't it because there wasn't really hospitals and stuff to take them to so yeah and a lot of illnesses that are now treatable back then just weren't yeah. and if you got them that was it yeah no thank you you can keep the little girl Miss Hyatt she can stay there don't bring her over to England it's okay so our second story today comes from Natalie before I start I will say that I spent my whole life up until that point a very much non-believer. I loved a good ghost story, but to me they were always make-believe. I was a believer in science and I always thought that sightings of ghosts could easily be explained. What happened to me that day really did change my mind, or at least make me more open-minded. 
I don't know what I believe in now, to be honest. But I certainly believe that sometimes very strange things happen that defy explanation. I have horses and have done since I was a child. Back in 1998, I kept my horses on a local livery yard. I was 14 at the time. When you rented a stable on the yard, you also got a small storage lockup for keeping your tack, hay and belongings. One side of the yard had locker rooms for this purpose and the other side had old army cabins. These were actual army cabins used during the war from the West Kirby RAF camp. The yard owner had managed to acquire them because the land that the camp was on backed onto the yard. On Wednesday the 11th of November 1998, at about 6pm, my friend had just ridden her pony and we were carrying her tack back to the cabin to put it away. The cabins were relatively small. I don't know the exact measurements, but I'd say about 8 foot by 7 foot. Height-wise, I could stand up in them at 5 foot 4, but any much taller than that and you'd have to duck slightly. Some of the cabins came with the original fittings and my friends had a desk running from one end to the other on the right-hand side. My friend switched the cabin light on as she entered, carrying the saddle and bridle. I was following with a plastic grooming box full of brushes and things used to groom a horse. I put the grooming box on the desk, lengthways. My friend went to the back of the cabin where the saddle rack was and started to lift the saddle onto the rack. We were chatting away, as teenagers do. My friend was a few years older than me at 19, but we spent a lot of time together. While we were talking, I became aware that the grooming kit was moving and was now hanging off the desk. I assumed my friend had knocked it, having not really been paying full attention myself, so I lifted it back onto the desk as it looked like it was going to fall off. There had been a saddle cloth on the desk that my friend had placed down while she put her saddle away, so I guess I just thought that she had knocked the saddlecloth and the saddlecloth had knocked the box. We carried on chatting. My friend hadn't even noticed anything at this point. I watched her lift the saddlecloth and place it on top of the saddle so now I could see all sides of the grooming box. Seconds later, I became aware that the box was moving again. Very slowly. It looked like someone was pushing one corner and I watched absolutely intrigued as this thing moved of its own accord very slowly. Even now as an adult, I can still remember my brain going into overload as I watched this thing with nothing there to influence it, moving. I was weirdly fascinated and excited but genuinely not at all scared. The trouble is my friend was still chatting away and bustling around at the other end of the cabin, so I was the only one who had seen it. The grooming kit ended up hanging off the desk again, at a 90 degree angle to where it had been originally. So I picked it up, and as I placed it back down in the original position, I said to my friend, Jen, you've got to watch this. She turned around, and almost as soon as I'd put the box back down, it started to move again exactly the same as before, like someone was pushing a corner and slowly moving the box. Once again my eyes scanned all sides of the box and could see nothing push it, or indeed anything anywhere near it. 
I glanced up at my friend and could see her watching in absolute horror as it moved. This time, once it had turned 90 degrees and was hanging off the edge of the desk, it didn't stop. It suddenly launched itself off the desk, up and across the cabin, rather than just falling off the desk. My friend went absolutely batshit crazy and lost it. I've never seen anyone move so fast and in such complete hysteria. In her panic, she actually shoved me out of the way. Up until that point, I'd been totally calm, but her reaction spooked me and I also did a runner out of the cabin. She was already halfway up the yard by the time I got out of the cabin and she was still shrieking. One of the ladies on the yard heard the commotion and came out of her stable to see what was going on. I explained what had happened while my friend pretty much hyperventilated next to me. The lady said she would come and check out the cabin with us. We went back to the cabin to find that the light had gone out. We tried switching it back on, but it seemed the bulb had blown. As it was evening and dark out, the cabin was practically in blackness. The lady went to get a torch and me and my friend waited just outside the cabin for her to return. I still wasn't really scared. All I can remember is replaying the situation over and over in my head, trying to think of a logical explanation. The lady returned with a torch and we entered the cabin. What greeted us was very odd. The grooming box was on the floor at the far side of the cabin, on its side, like it had hit the far wall. But the really odd thing was the placement of all the brushes. They weren't just in a heap on the floor as you would expect from a falling object, but randomly scattered about the cabin. A hoof pick was sitting on top of a bale of hay that was on top of three bales of hay. A grooming brush was on top of the cabinet at the other end. It just didn't make any sense at all. We checked that cabin from top to bottom and we tried to get it to happen again, but to no luck. There was no water or moisture on the desk and the desk wasn't on a slope of any sort. We even got a ball to test this theory. We tried to replicate what had happened with various items and we even pushed the box off to see where the brushes would end up and as predicted, those that fell just ended up on the floor with the grooming box. My friend didn't deal with it very well at all and didn't like to talk about it. I remember her ringing me the next day and she was so scared that she'd had to ask her boss in work to accompany her any time she had to go into the storeroom. I dealt with it differently, and to be honest, it never really scared me. I just found the whole thing fascinating. The word spread, and even now it is remembered as one of the most well-known ghost stories of the yard. There were various other ghost stories from over the years there, but I've no idea how true they were, or if they were just stories that pony-mad kids like to scare each other with. I'm now 35, and I can still remember that incident as clear as day. I moved off the yard about five years ago. I'm not sure what happened to that particular cabin. It was one of a group of cabins that were moved in 2003 when the main yard was knocked down and rebuilt into a newer American barn-style stables. I think it was put in storage around the back, and to my knowledge, it's still there somewhere, although not used on the yard anymore. 
There are still 22 army cabins in use on that yard. I had several myself over the years, but never had anything spooky happen. To this day, I think that I annoyed something or someone by constantly pushing the box back on the desk. Someone that day didn't want it there, and the only way to get their point across was to move it and then eventually throw it when I clearly didn't listen to them. It does seem awfully strange that it occurred on Armistice Day and those cabins were used in the war at the RAF camp. The box moving instant is so good for Natalie because so often in those situations when we see someone something moving or something that's a bit odd, we'll call someone else's attention to it and it won't happen again. Whereas... It happens twice for Natalie and then she gets her friend's attention and it moves again. Not even just moves, but it gets flung yeah. across the room. And then when they come and then imagine coming back to that knowing that you know what state a certain room is in, particularly a storeroom as well. You tend to put stuff away properly. Like even if you're a kid, you, you, you tr- you're trained how to store things when you do stuff like that on you because it's so important to keep the kit good. So imagine going away, coming back, the light not working, and then finally getting the, the torch light going, and everything's everywhere. The lady that came back must have been like, what have these kids done? Why have they thrown all this mess? Why have they made all this mess? I do like, though, that the lady and the two girls did some like experiments to see if they could get it to happen again, and used a ball to see if it was on a slope, and all that jazz. That is some top class paranormal investigating right there. Learning how to debunk things from a young age is a good skill. Just like learning not to use a Ouija board. I mean, realistically, these these two girls could teach lots of mainstream paranormal investigators a thing or two. Yeah. You know, they didn't just go, shit, it's a demon. Yeah. They went, let's get a ball and see if it's on a slope. Let's push the box off and see how the things land. I find that with just a slight tangent, which we won't go on for too long, but I find that in those paranormal shows, they do debunk things when it serves a purpose to show that they can occasionally debunk things. Every so often, yeah. yeah. But they debunk the really obviously not real things, you know, where it's very clearly a moth on the lens and they're like debunked. It's just one of those things that is ever, forever going to annoy me about the paranormal community, but that's not what Natalie did. So we no. love you, Natalie. Yeah, we love well your, we love a scientific brain around here. And our last story today comes from Rebecca. I actually think of myself as more of a scared person. At night, before I go to sleep, I look around for shadows and make sure I know what they all are. I'm also very much a dog person, and if any dog ever reacted to something that was not there, I would for sure nope the fuck out. I've been sort of surprised that I'm so into this podcast. When I was telling my friend how much I like the stories, I told her that part of my coping mechanism was that I personally feel that I've never experienced anything truly paranormal. That helped me not to be so scared when I feel scared. I just convinced myself that they're only stories. I recently remembered what I think is my one possible ghost story. In 2018, my husband Kenny and I travelled by car from Austin, Texas to Washington, D.C. It was a 24-hour drive. The halfway point where we stopped to sleep for one night is Nashville. We stayed at the Hilton Hotel downtown. We were exhausted 
and had another long day of driving coming up. At first we were watching TV because that is how I best fall asleep especially in new places. Kenny on the other hand needs quiet so as was discussed he waited until I was dozing off before he turned off the TV. By accident he woke me up making a very loud noise when he put the remote down and I had a very cranky reaction. I say all of that to point out that he knew I was sleeping and he was doing what he could to keep it that way. I was almost all of the way asleep when out of nowhere he says to me, did you know that this hotel used to be a hospital? I replied and said something like, are you serious right now? Because I thought it was creepy AF. In order to still be able to get some sleep, I had to ignore what he said and go into the mode of, don't give whatever that was any more power by being scared of it. The next day we talked about the incident and he told me that he felt the words come out of his mouth involuntarily and after he said them he went into the mode of protector to ward off any evil. He says he heard a lot of noises that night that made him feel uneasy or woke him up but I was asleep by then so I can't really speak on those. He told me he read a plaque informing him that it was a hospital but when he read it he decided not to tell me because he knew it would scare me. I mean, all hotels are creepy, right? But to have been a hospital? I think it was a ghost or something trying to get me because it saw that I was vulnerable. I think you're right. I think um, Rebecca is you. Yeah. I would in female form. I would describe myself as a scared person as well. And a dog lover. Mm-hmm. Yep. Welcome, Rebecca, to the scared person group. Yeah, it's, isn't it weird converting a hospital into a hotel? It makes sense because obviously there's loads of rooms in a hospital and you need loads of rooms in a hotel. But it is a bit of an odd conversion, right? I don't think it is an odd conversion. I think it's actually quite common. So even if you look at the, the old lunatic asylum in Chartham, that's all been converted into houses. Yeah. And that's an old lunatic asylum. How so like. Say? Our friend works in the, or works in, lives in the old water tower. In one of the apartments in the old water tower of the asylum. Yeah. But it's a house. It's different than a hotel, isn't it? Why do you think a hotel is different? Because it's more passing souls. That's in and out, isn't it? It's not consistent. Okay. I think things settle over time. This is yeah. a really weird paranormal, uh, uh, Assertion, assertion that you're making yeah. but I feel like things settle over time and houses are a bit there's a bit more permanency to houses I think than there is hotels whereas it's a constant different it's a change of energy every night isn't it in a hotel so it must be fired up in there well, yeah I guess do research into every hotel we go to now to make sure it wasn't a hospital I mean I wouldn't recommend doing that because you're definitely <laughs> going to come across stuff that is not good <laughs> I think like I think also this is quite dark but I think a lot of people go to hotels to like complete suicide and stuff because well thank you for that thought because it's quite anonymous isn't it Mm. and you're unlikely to be found so just keep that in mind the next time you're thinking about haunted hotels have you ever said anything where you have no idea how you said it like no like how kenny said where he's just like i just it just came out yeah I don't think so. Well, I say stupid things all the time that I don't really yeah, think but, about before I say them. But there's a difference between putting your foot in it and... Because he made a conscious... He said in um, Rebecca's story, she said that Kenny made a conscious choice not to tell her. It's a bit different, isn't it? 
Yeah. Rather than just putting your foot in something, because I've done that plenty of times, and I'm just like, I don't know why I said that. I do not know why I said that. I'm I sorry. think we're both very guilty of doing that <laughs> yeah. regularly, where it's like, well, that was an awful <laughs> thing to say, but here we are. But it's different. It's a different thing to actually to almost have no control. It's kind of creepy. Kind of creepy. So if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you donate to Out of the Woods Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation for the chance to win some free merch. And also go to our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com to find all of the information that you need to find about us, including our social medias, the email address that you can send stories to, and our Patreon page, where for $5 a month, you get access to loads of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.